So how are we doing today? You guys ready to go? Hey, I'm excited about this. I want to welcome in the Ridge right now. It's our first weekend, so we welcome you over there in our, uh, in our new live uh, worship video venue, and just hope God meets you there as he does here. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out, especially if you're new. We use this every week, and it's just a, a great way to learn together. You'll be, uh, we'll be referring to it throughout the, the time. So we're going to pull that out. And if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here at the start of a brand new year and to be seeking you as a church and your vision for our lives, understanding what it means to be a follower, what it means to be transformed, for renewed, to become like our creator so we have the capacity to do relationship well, both with you and others. And so today we pray that as we come, you would uh, open our minds, our hearts to your word. I pray you'd be with me, strengthen my, my mind, my voice may be clear. Um, <coughs> I pray that as a church, we gather around your word and hear what the Spirit would say to his church. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today on a Thursday. And so the date is January the 15th, 2009. Some of you will remember this, but uh, it's, a, it's a cold day in New York. Um, he's a pilot. He's flying out of LaGuardia Airport, a commercial jetliner. It's got 155 people on board. And so that day starts off normally. He's done this flight a million times before. He's got his co-pilot next to him. They've gone through their pre-flight routine. Everything checked out. They're ready to go. 3.26 in the afternoon, they get the green light from the tower. They're ready to take off. And so they head down. They take off the runway. Everything's going smooth until a couple minutes into this flight. And as many of you know the story, that all of a sudden, a flock of Canadian geese, we're not talking one goose, two geese, but a flock of Canadian geese impact the plane. Several go inside the two engines, and uh, they immediately lose thrust. And he has 35 seconds to figure out how to try to save the lives of the 155 passengers on board, but not just them, the thousands of people that are unsuspecting below, down in the Bronx below. Well, today... We are going to be starting this brand new series. I'm really excited about it. It's called Renew, the Character of Great Relationships. And this is one of those series that's been brewing for a while. And it's one that uh, I'm extremely excited about, much like our priority series we kicked off the year uh, with last year. This is one of those series that really has the uh, capacity, the power, I believe, in a short amount of time to make a major changes in our life if we're uh, willing to be open and listen to what God wants to be saying to us in these next nine weeks. And so uh, what we're going to be doing today, uh, much like we kicked off that series last year in January, is I want to start today with five um, basic core principles that are going to drive us through this whole series. And so there on your note sheet, you see a section that's called uh, Renew the Big Picture. And what I want to do is just kind of launch in. Uh, like I said, these, these five principles will, will uh, direct us every step of the way. Uh, and so we're just going to, we're going to jump in and start kind of understanding uh, this vision that God has for our life, understanding what is the relationship between character and great relationships. So let's jump, let's jump in. Number one, the first principle goes like this, is that uh, God's vision is renewal. All right, so in other words, when you came to Jesus, if you've not yet come to Jesus, we hope that that happens in the next nine weeks as you're here with us. Um, but if you've, if you've not yet, uh, or when you came to Jesus, that um, the Bible says we go through a supernatural change from the inside out. That uh, when a man or woman gives their life to Jesus, 
that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we, we start a renewal process. That, that what happens is that we go, I like to call it going online with Jesus. There's an organic connection between us and Jesus now through the Holy Spirit so that we become partakers, sharers of his, uh, of his life, his death, and resurrection. So as a result of that connection, we now have the power and capacity to die to the old life that's holding us back, and we have the power and capacity to rise with him to a new life. And so uh, there are many passages that talk about this, and of course, once that renewal takes place in our life, as we grow, the goal of this is to become like our creator again. And as we become like our creator in this renewal process, um, that uh, it changes our capacity for relationships. So we're now able to do relationship the way they were designed to be done. So that's kind of the big picture idea of this whole series. Now, there are several passages in the New Testament that talk about this transformation renewal process. And we're going to be looking at one today that's actually one of my favorites. Um, and it's, it's going to guide us through the whole series. We'll come back to this probably every week. And it's in Colossians chapter 3. So I want you to turn there. If you have your Bibles, you have your apps, just go ahead, open up, turn them on. Um, I did print the passage today just because it's the first day of a new series. We often have new guests. You may not have a Bible or you maybe didn't bring your Bible or whatever. And so what I would encourage you is if you plan to be with us in this series, that you get a Bible. Uh, we recommend you get the, what we call the New International Version. You can get it in our bookstore. You can get it online. Um, or if you want to uh, download an app for your phone, there's a great app, uh, it's a free app, that's called a version, and you can download, and that's got all kinds of translations, but one of them is the New International Version. So on the back of your program, if you turn that over, it tells you here the name of our, the, the version that we use and the app where you can get that, all right? So, uh, but if you've, got your, uh, if you've got your Bible, you've got your app, uh, let's, you know, focus on that take, it's always better in your own Bible. So, Let's, uh, let's walk through this passage. We're going to pick it up at, at verse 5, and let me set it up, set the context. So the Apostle Paul is writing this. So, so this is a letter from a man we call the Apostle Paul, to, uh, who's one of the key leaders in the early movement of Jesus. He's writing to a group of Christ's followers in the city, uh, ancient city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, he's never been there but these people have recently come to Jesus, so he's writing to them about, here's what happened when you came to Jesus, here's how to follow Jesus. And so what he's been explaining in chapter 2 and 3 is that when we come to Jesus, that we enter into this new organic relationship by his spirit, so that we die with him uh, through to our old life, we rise with him through the power of the spirit. This happens, it's a supernatural change. We're now online with Jesus, we've been changed at the core of our being. In 2 Corinthians 5, it puts it this way, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Something has happened to you, all right? So he's been explaining that, and now he's going to build on that. Since you are new in Christ, since you've died with Christ and risen with him, here's how you need to approach your new life. And so we'll pick it up at verse 5. So he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, kind of your old fallen human nature, and he gives us five examples. Uh, sexual immorality, um, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, it's because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Judgment's coming. And he said, as you know, before you came to Jesus, you used to walk in these ways. I mean, this is the way you used to live. He said, but now you must rid yourself. 
Now, I want you to underline that, that word, rid yourself. In the Greek, that literally says to put off. You know, put off. And it's a term that's used to describe clothing. So Paul's going to use an analogy throughout this whole passage. We'll see it more clearly later, where he says that now that you've come to Jesus, you have the capacity to change. Change isn't automatic, but you have the capacity, you have the power, and so you need to put off the old character qualities, put on the new, like, a, like you've been working in the garden all day and your, your clothes are filthy, you're going to go out, you got to start in the evening, you're going to put on new clothes. So I'm going to put off the old, put on the new. So he gives us some more examples of the kinds of things we need to put off. He says uh, anger, um, rage, uh, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And these are all things, of course, that undercut relationship. And he says, so don't lie to each other since you have taken off, uh, there it is again, you've taken off your old self. Now in the Greek it says that you're old man. From a biblical view of things, there are two men. We're all descendants of two men. There's Adam and there's Jesus Adam is the leader of the old race. We're all born as sons and daughters of Adam. We all inherit his fallen human nature. Uh, has this natural uh, pull to what's uh, what we call it the dark side. You know, it's self-destructive, evil, uh, uh, destructive of others. Um, and so that's the old man. Uh, and then when we come to Jesus, we become part of the new race, the new human, the new the new uh, humanity. So in the Greek, it says old man, new man. And so he says. Um, so you, we're going to put off the uh, we're going we're going to uh, take off the old self with its practices, and we're going to put on the new self and catch this, which is being what renewed. Just say it out loud. Being what renewed. Okay. And so catch a couple things. Catch the the present tense of this. That's an accurate translation from the Greek. It's being renewed. So what Paul is saying is that when you come to Jesus, and this is very important, you catch this. When you come to Jesus, his vision for our lives is much bigger than we're simply forgiven from our past and we are, quote, saved and go to heaven when we die. That's part of the vision, but the vision is much bigger. That his vision is when we come to Jesus, we're not only forgiven, but we enter in this new relationship with God. We receive the power of his Holy Spirit and we enter into a renewal process, and it's an ongoing process. Not a one time. We are being renewed, and the question is, well, where are we going? Where is this renewal leading us? What's the whole point? And so he goes on. He says, we're being renewed in knowledge in the image of its whom? Creator. All right? So the image of the Creator. So he says that you're being renewed, and the goal is that you would be recreated to be like your creator again. Now, this language is clearly a reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And you remember the start of the human story in the garden is that we were created in the image of God, right? And so we're created in the image of God. We are created, catch us, to be like God. That's as a race, we were designed to be like him in terms of our core character. But when we rebelled against him as a race, we lost that to a large degree. So we're no longer like God. When we're born as natural human beings, sons and daughters of Adam, we are not like God. We're self-centered. We're self-focused. We're ego-driven. We're self-destructive, right? And so we have this natural bent to the dark side, which breaks down our relationships. And so Paul says God's vision for our life we come to Jesus, it's not simply to be forgiven, but to be renewed 
and the image of our creator that we'd be like him again. And then he goes on in verse 12. He's going to give us, let's skip verse 11. In verse 12, he's going to give us some examples of what this renewal looks like. So he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, and then separated out from the fallen world, you're holy and you're dearly loved. You know, like that good, good father. We're just saying that we, we're dearly loved. He says, clothe yourself. So catch the analogy. Remember, we, we're putting off and putting on. It becomes very clear now the analogy he's using. We're going to clothe ourselves. Uh, and he gives us five key character qualities. He says, we're going to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And when you stop and think about that, think about any relationship with your in, if it's characterized by that kind of qualities, gentleness and compassion and kindness and patience, that's going to be a healthy relationship, right? And so he said, uh, that's part of what God's after in the renewal. And he goes on and gives a couple more examples. He said, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So catch this, part of our renewal process to become like, a, uh, like the creator is to learn how to forgive those who've hurt us as God forgives us. It's who he is. And he said, then over all these virtues or character qualities, we're going to put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so, of course, love takes in all the character qualities. And we'll talk about that later in the series. But here's what I want you to catch. This is the big picture of this whole series, is that God has a vision for your life. And that vision is a renewal. It's a, a vision that by the power of his Holy Spirit, as we listen and follow, as we put off the old, put on the new, that we would become renewed, transformed, become like our creator. And catch this, as that happens, it creates the capacity to do relationships the right way, to build the kind of relationships we want. Okay, so that's a big picture, and that's number one. And we'll come back to it, of course, uh, all the time. So God's vision is renewal. Now, number, uh, uh, number two, number two is that character is critical. In this whole renewal process where we are being changed, we're becoming like our creator, so we have capacity to do relationship well, uh, character is the critical ingredient in this renewal process. In other words, that if I were to ask you, like, why, why do you think some relationships go so well? And in this whole series, when I talk about relationships, I'm talking about all kinds, right? So dating relationships, uh, marriage relationship, parent-child relationship, friendships, ministry teams, co-workers at work, extended relatives. So I, I think if I were to ask you, like, what is the secret ingredient of great relationships? I think for many of us, we would tend to think in terms of one or two key ingredients. Right? We tend to assume it's one or two. The first one is we tend to assume that great res, uh, relationships are the result of great chemistry. Like when you see a, a couple and they've been married for 10 years or 20 years, they have a great relationship, you just assume that there's kind of great natural chemistry, that great compatibility. When uh, people go through a marriage, what do we say? We're incompatible. That there's sort of an assumption that the secret of great relationships or friendships um, or, or parent-child or families, that there's just kind of great natural chemistry there. Uh, the second assumption that we tend to make is that the reason relationships are great is because great communication. 
that, um, hey, the reason that relationship works well, they, they just really learned how to communicate. And you see this all the time because in our culture, when a marriage goes bad or when a friendship breaks up or whatever, what do we say? It's like, hey, we need to get together and talk about this. We need to learn how to communicate. And here's what I want you to catch, that there is a lot of truth to both of those components, that chemistry does play an important part in many relationships. Communication is a big part of healthy relationships, so it's true, but it's not the critical ingredient. What I'm suggesting that for great relationships, to build great relationships, there's something more important than chemistry and communication. And that secret ingredient is character. And the way I would put it is like this. It takes chemistry to start a great relationship. It takes communication to strengthen a great relationship. But it takes character to make it last. Now, if you stop and think about this, most of us have experienced this, I'm sure, in our own life. Like, we've all been parts of relationships that started really well, right? Great chemistry. Maybe it was a dating relationship. Maybe it was a marriage. Uh, maybe it was a, a friendship. Maybe it was a ministry team. Maybe it was a new job situation, like you interviewed for a position, and you were so excited to be working for this new company on this specific new team, and they were very excited about you, and yet somewhere along the way, the, the marriage, the dating, the friendship, the work, it got derailed. And it, it kind of, um, it broke apart, and uh, it, it may have completely been destroyed, or maybe it's just you're kind of living parallel lives, or it's passive, aggressive, or whatever. But we've all seen that happen. And when that happens, we tend to assume that, hey, well, I think, you know, I thought it was a good fit. I thought we were compatible. I guess we just weren't. Or we tend to assume that, like, well, I guess we just didn't communicate, or maybe we need to get together. And again, there may be some truth to that. But here's what I'd suggest, is that if you look back at your life or in any key relationship, someone you know well that blows up, if you were to do an autopsy on that relationship, what you would find is that there's a bigger issue than chemistry or communication, and that issue is there's a lack of character on either one or both sides. Like, let me give you a couple examples that what you might find is there was a lack of integrity in the relationship that led over time to a lack of trust. Uh, there was a lack of compassion and sensitivity in the relationship. There was a harshness that led to bitterness and hurt that over time destroyed the relationship. Um, there was a lack of honesty in the relationship that led to a lack of uh, authenticity and intimacy in the relationship over time, that there was a self-seeking, a selfish pride that drove the relationship apart, that there was sexual immorality that caused betrayal to happen uh, in the relationship, that there was uh, a lack of uh, forgiveness when there was offenses that just built over time, there was a lack of self-control or an irresponsibility that over time just built up such a wall that was impossible to overcome. So are you with me on this? That that when we look at relationship, we tend to think what's critical is chemistry and communication, but the reality is something far more bigger is at stake, and that's character. Uh, and and the, the reality of this is that uh, when there are major character issues in a relationship, better communication may make it worse, not better. 
Like, for example, if I come to you and I say, all right, you want me to be honest? I'll be honest. I'll tell you why I don't want to go to Texas to see your mother. Okay, you're right. It's not about the money. It's not about the cost. It's not about the vacation time. I can't stand your mother. I never could stand your mother. And more than the worse than that, you remind me of your mother. It's harder. It's hard enough for me to live with one of you. To have me two with you at the same time, it'd have killed me. Hey, we just had some very honest communication, didn't we? And how do you think that relationship's going to go? Hey, sometimes the better part of wisdom is lie through your teeth, right? It's like, hey, this thing's going to blow up if I'm honest. So do you, see, you understand what I'm saying here? Is that often we assume, I mean, I see this happen in marriages. Hey, we're having a hard time in marriage. We need to learn how to communicate. Your problem may not be communication. Your problem may be you. And the more you clearly communicate you, the bigger problem we're going to have. You see? So, so uh, the, the core, uh, the secret ingredient of great relationships is character. It's a critical ingredient. Um, there in your note sheet, a quote from Stephen Covey, who uh, wrote the famous book, really great book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. <clears throat> he says the most important ingredient we put into any relationship is not what we say or what we do. It's who, what we are. It's futile to put personality ahead of character to try to improve relationships bef- uh, with others before improving ourselves. Character is the critical ingredient. Now, that leads to number three. Once we understand number two, and we understand this, this relationship between character and great relationships, we're ready for number three. And so number three goes like this, is that the greater the character, the deeper the relationship. So let me illustrate it like this. Like, let's say we went to a wedding together, and it was a young couple, a 20-something couple, and they were getting married, and you turned to me and said, hey, what do you think the chances are this, what, this marriage is going to survive and thrive? Like, do you think it's got a good chance of succeeding and being a great marriage, or do you think it's got a, a better chance of blowing up, exploding, or even if they stay together, just being a miserable marriage? Well, what I would say is if, if there were a way for us to put their character on a graph, to know their character, we could predict that. Because here's what I know. If you just put a little bit of character into a relationship, that relationship has very little capacity to succeed. A little character means a little relationship. A lot of character means a lot of relationship. So for example, let's say there's a couple and they both have limited integrity, right? They, they, they often don't tell the truth. They don't keep their commitments. They don't live out their core value system, what they say. That uh, you should be a couple with a little integrity. It's going to be very hard for that relationship to succeed because it's going to lead to a lack of trust, and trust is the currency of relationships, right? You show me uh, a couple that they have a little honesty. There's a lot of secrets in their relationship. They're not very authentic. They're not very honest. That relationship will never thrive. It's impossible. Uh, You show me a relationship where there is little responsibility. One or both partners are irresponsible. 
I can guarantee you there will be little respect in that relationship. See, there is a relationship. The more character you pour into a relationship, the deeper the relationship can go. But the flip side is also true. So what this means then is that if we can learn to grow in our character, there is an automatic growth in our relationship. The more character leads to deeper relationship. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be looking at, see if I can do this, eight, uh, eight key character qualities that are absolutely essential for healthy relationships. And if we can learn how to grow in those character qualities, then there will be a deeper relationships as a result because it's, just, it's almost like a, like a mathematical equation. The, 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 the greater the character, the deeper the relationship. Right? Uh, number four. The fourth principle is that character is created by choices. I think this is, uh, is, is something that we often misunderstand. I think that much like relationships are a mystery to, to many of us, I think character is often a mystery. We see someone of character, and we're not really sure how they became that way. We see someone who's lacking of character, we're not really sure how they became that way that we often even tend to think, well, some people, maybe they're just born with more character. They just kind of naturally have more character. But the reality is character is a result of our choices. And so we control the level of character in our life. And this is what Paul is saying, saying, hey, you've come to Jesus, and so now as followers of Jesus, you have the power of his spirit. He will lead you and guide you. And if you will listen and follow, if you will put off the old and put on the new, you can be renewed to become like your creator that will have the capacity. It's your choice. But here's what I want you to catch, that this growth and change and renewal is not automatic. That as followers of Jesus, we have the capacity to grow and change, but it's not automatic. It's a choice. And Paul says it three times in this passage. If you look at your Bible in Colossians 3, I want to point this out. In 3, 5, he says, uh, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, that's a choice, isn't it? We can either put it to death or we don't put it to death. It's up to us. It's a choice. We have the power to do it. Christ is in us. Holy Spirit's in us. We have the power to do that. But whether we do it or not is a choice. You look at verse 8. But now you must rid yourself. Remember, that's that Greek word, apotithemi, to put off, using the clothing analogy. Clothing analogy, He says, but now you must put off all such things like this, anger, rage. So you have a choice. When you're angry, you have a choice. You can either justify that anger and say, I have a right to be anger, and after all, I am the center of the universe, and so therefore, it's appropriate for me to reveal my wrath in all righteousness and goodness and justice and take out the world with me. I would rather release the pressure inside of me and devastate all around me than hold on to that, right? So we have a decision to make. Do we embrace that anger, hold on to that anger, or do we put it off? And we have a choice. And he says, you know, it's, it's up to you. A third example is verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. And it's like, you decide. You know, you got up this morning, you decided whether to put on clothes or not. I'm so thankful you did. Um, <laughs> because it would be very distracting. Um, 
but uh, you decided, right, this morning you got up and you said, okay, I'm wearing this today. And you decide, I'm going to wear this, I am going to get dressed, I'm going to put on this. I mean, it's a choice. And, and Paul says, hey, as followers of Jesus, you can choose whether to put on compassion or anger. You can choose whether to put on bitterness or forgiveness. You can choose to put on love or hate. It's a choice that you have, and so uh, that our character is a result of our choices. I love the way that Oswald Chambers puts it there on your note sheet. He's one of my favorite writers. He says, no man is born with character. We make our own character. Now, I want to give you an analogy, that I think an uh, illustration I think will be helpful. I want you to picture a medieval city that is surrounded by a tall brick wall or a tall stone wall. And it could be different kinds of stones, some big, some small, right? All carefully crafted to make the strong wall. So I want you to picture that in your mind. And I want to, I want to say that that is a representation of your life, okay, that city. And so inside the wall is your life. It's your emotional life, your emotional health, your spiritual health. But also inside are your relationships. Okay, so inside that wall of your life are your relationships. So if you're married, you're married. If you're dating someone, uh, it's your dating relationship. Your friendships, if you have kids, your kids, you have parents, you have parents. Um, you know, uh, so uh, your workplace, your ministry team, your life group, that's all inside. That's your life, Okay. So what I'm saying is this city represents your life, and if the inside represents your relationships, the wall represents your character. And so all day, every day, we have to make decisions, character decisions, big, small. Do we tell the truth? Do I go the extra mile? Do I compromise? Uh, how do I respond? Do I slander? Do I attack? You know, all day long, we have character decisions to make. And what I'm suggesting is the stones in your wall are the character decisions. So we could label those stones. Like we could label those stones, uh, maybe one stone is called integrity. Uh, one stone is compassion. One stone is gentleness. Uh, one stone is mercy. One stone is grace. One stone is responsibility. Let's call one work ethic. Uh, and so we can just, you know, label these with forgiveness. We can label these stones, right? And so as we go through life, we have a choice of how we respond, what we put on, what we put off. And every time we make the right choice, it's like we put a carefully cut stone in our wall. Now, some choices are small, and there's a smaller stone. Some are big, but we're building a wall of character. Now, here's what you can see. What happens if we compromise? If we don't choose the right stone, if we compromise the quality or the chiseling on that stone... And so we, we compromise and we choose uh, the opposite character. We choose anger. We choose bitterness. We choose slander. What happens is we build a very wobbly wall. We build a wall that has lots of breaches. We, have a, we build a wall that can't take the pressures of life or the enemies and challenges that come against our life. And so what happens is that when we make wrong choices and we build weak character Catch this, every relationship in our life is vulnerable. And so character is a choice. There in your note sheet, Margaret Jensen, she puts it this way, character is the sum total of our everyday choices. John Maxwell, who you know, is a leadership writer, 
He puts it this way, we do choose our character. In fact, we create it every time we make our choices. For example, to cop out or to dig out of a hard situation. To bend the truth or stand under the weight of it. To take the easy money or pay the price. As you live your life and make your choices today, you are continuing to create your character. Now, what I want you to catch then as followers of Jesus, and again, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we're hoping you make that decision and give your life to Christ and join us on this journey. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've come to Jesus, you've been connected to him, you've gone online, his spirit lives in you, you have the power and the capacity now to do what you couldn't do before, to put off the old and take on the new and to be renewed like your creator so that you have the capacity to do relationship well. That's who you are. But what I want you to catch is this is not automatic. And this is why you can meet someone who claims to be a Christian, and they claim, I, they've claimed to be a Christian 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and honestly, they are less like Jesus now than 50 years ago. They are cranky. They are small-minded. They are selfish. They're self-absorbed. Every conversation you have with them is all about them, always. It's always from their anger. They're very critical. They're very harsh. They're judgmental. They're hypocritical. People at work don't want to be around them. There have been so many people who have decided not to pursue Christianity because of them. Like they would, the best thing that they could do to advance the kingdom would let, don't let anyone know they have anything to do with Jesus. And catch this, and yet they've been going to church for 50 years. They show up every time the door is open. They read their Bible, they join a life group, they do the study, they serve in a ministry, they may even give financially to support the kingdom. And you say, how is that possible? How is that possible that someone who has the Holy Spirit in them has been connected and gone online with Jesus, that's been in church for 50 years and all these different ministries, how is it possible that they are so unlike Jesus and so unrenewed. And it's very simple. They've made a classic mistake. They have mistaken involvement for renewal. Involvement doesn't lead to participation doesn't equal renewal. What what this is required for renewal. Renewal happens as we make choices, as we choose to put off the old and put on the new. That's what leads to renewal. Number five. Number five goes like this, that character takes time. And this is important. This is sort of a truth and advertising type of statement. 
that if you want to change, if you want to become like Jesus, if you want to be renewed in your core character, become like your creator, and develop the capacity to do relationships well, love God and love others really well, to be the kind of persons described here, compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control, forgiveness, and so on, if you want to become, that takes time. That character growth, change, renewal, is more like, Becoming an oak than it is like becoming a wild flower. Uh, that renewal, change process for a follower of Jesus, it's more like a crock pot than a microwave. Think of that wall analogy again. When you see an ancient city, like a medieval city, with this beautiful stone wall carefully chiseled, that has been put together with such care and has lasted over centuries, like you see in Europe, you know there was some significant time and energy that was put into that wall. And so in the Bible, in Isaiah, we're told that as followers of Jesus, that God's vision is there were oaks of righteousness. And to grow an oak takes time, and it takes seasons, and it takes droughts, and it takes good times, and cold, and, and hard times, and, and over time, this massive oak is grown. And so, what I want you to catch here is that this often fools us, because when we first come to Jesus, what we often experience, like if you came to Jesus later in life, very likely that if you're a sincere believer, that you saw radical change overnight. That when you first came to Jesus, things changed fast, Right? Old habits go, it's almost like, uh, like, like the autumn leaves are just kind of falling off on the, oh, the spring begins to come, pushing off the old. Things change. You've got this new moral compass you didn't ask for, a new sense of right and wrong. You care about what's right. You care about what's wrong. You love God with this new love. You love people. There's all this new growth that happens, and that first couple of years, you often see radical change, and that's very normal. But what I'm saying is after that, the deeper parts of our character take much longer to grow and change. Like if you've been a proud person, a really proud person, it is harder to grow in humility. If you've been a person that throughout your life, every time that you're in a jam, you lie to get out of it, and you've done that your whole life, it is very difficult to change that. If you're a person that has uh, been very sexually immoral before you come to Jesus, or even after Jesus, you've really spent hours and hours and hours kind of training your brain on internet porn. That what's happened is the longer you watch, the more the neurons and synapses, you're creating new ones. And it, your, your brain is now hardwired for porn. And that change doesn't come overnight. You know, if you've been a person that you've gone through your life and it's like, no one messes with me. For whatever reason in your life, no one messes with me. They hurt me, they're going to pay for it. And that's how you've lived your whole life. You've lived your life with a revenge motive. Uh, uh, no one pushes me around. That, that doesn't change overnight. That if we're going to grow and change, that these changes come slowly. They come one choice at a time. They take time. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Because the Holy Spirit's come in your life, because he is there to lead and guide and empower, that he's able to empower you to change. But what I'm saying is 
you don't change overnight, that it requires lots of choices, lots of stones over time. In fact, when Jesus talks about this whole character change process, he describes it as a death. There are your notes, sheep. I put a famous verse from Luke chapter 9 where Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny him. Notice, follow me. He must deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily. Daily. Let's say it again. What? Daily. Daily. Not weekly. Not monthly. Not yearly. Uh, Daily. (laughs) All right. Um, In other words, this is a way of life for us. Now, when you think about it, we think of cross as a beautiful thing on the hill, a piece of jewelry on our neck. Cross was an instrument of torture designed to deliver the most amount of pain possible, both emotional and physical, to teach anyone who would dare to raise their hand against Rome, don't think about it. And so when Jesus in his day say, take up your cross, it's scaring people to death. Like, this is an instrument of pain and torture. And yet Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that you're going to have to die to your old life and catch that. That's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be painful. Now, my spirit will be there to help you to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the spirit, Romans 8. But it is a choice. It takes time. It's not going to be easy. It's going to require a deep surrender. And so what this means, I want you to understand this because if we don't understand this, we will get discouraged because what tends to happen is like you go to a weekend retreat, like a men's retreat or a woman's retreat, or you come to the start of a new series, and we get so fired up, like, wow, I get it. God's vision for my life and this relationship between character and relationship, I've never understood that. And the more I grow in my character, the deeper my relationships can go. And that makes so much sense. And I'm fired up and I'm ready to go out there and just tackle the world. And Jesus, if you just come into my life, I surrender. I'm sorry. I'm ready to go. And about Wednesday, we're flat on our face. Because change doesn't happen like that. Character change doesn't happen as a result of a single retreat. Character change doesn't happen because your friends lay hands on you and pray for you and there is this miraculous change. Character change doesn't happen because you read the latest, greatest new book about transformation. What books and weekend messages and retreats, what they are great for is to help you understand what's at stake and to help you understand what God's up to in your life and to help you make the decision, I want to become an oak of righteousness. And so these kinds of services are great at helping you understand the big picture, what's required, and you can make a decision that Jesus, would you help me to grow? Would you lead me? Holy Spirit, show me what to put off, what to put on. So they're great for making a decision. They're not great for producing change. They're great about making a decision to start the process of change. It would be like, uh, like if we all went to some kind of retreat together, and let's say it was on health and fitness, and you have some kind of really uh, in shape, buff guy, and he just got done with writing, running a marathon. You got so fired up for the weekend, you buy all the nutrients, you get the videos and so on, and you say, I'm going to run a marathon. And you come back that next Monday and you find out, hey, hey, perfect, L.A. Marathon in two weeks. I'm going for it. 
Meanwhile, you're 50 pounds overweight, just walking up the stairs to the retreat, you can't breathe. I, I can tell you, I don't care what you do in the next two weeks, a mile in, you're going to be going 25 miles to go. I didn't realize the marathon was so long. You got blisters on your feet. You're going to breathe in hard. When's that first Gatorade station? Right? You're going to be dying because that's not the way that change happens. Like if you want to become a different person, you have to train to become that person so you can create the capacity to run a marathon. And the same thing, if you want to be renewed and be like Jesus, that doesn't happen by a single decision. It happens by choice after choice after choice over, over time to where you become renewed like your creator through the power of your spirit so that you have, catch this, the capacity to love well. You can't just make a decision to be gentle. You can't just make a decision to be compassionate. You can't just make a decision to be humble. No, these things develop in us over time as we listen and follow, take off and put on one step at a time, and just like an oak tree, as we listen and follow, we grow and we change, and one day now we are that oak tree and we have the capacity to take on huge weight in our life. And we can stand against huge storms. And when people hate us, we stand strong and our love remains for them. And when people betray us, we're able to forgive them because we have become an oak of righteousness. This is who we are. We have been changed from the inside out to be like our creator. And it's real and it's second nature because we've been changed. You know, we started the day with a story, a famous story. I know that many of you would recognize. I knew you would right off the bat. Um, with this famous story of this flight that took place back in January 15, 2009, you know, taking off from LaGuardia Airport, and this, they, they run into this uh, flock of Canadian geese. Uh, uh, geese. So wh- what was the name of the pilot for that? Sally, so, you all know it. It was really funny. Last service, 9 o'clock service. You know, early in the service, I said, yeah, we all created that, you know, Genesis 1, the image of, and it's like, you know, silence. And, you know, like one person, God, you know. But we got to Sully. We got to Sully. It's like, Sully! You know, it's like, like God needs a new movie. You know, it's like, we need a movie. But, uh, yeah, so this story, you know, I mean, I became, I'm sure like many of you did back in 2009. When it happened, it hits the news and it become more. But I never studied a lot. A few months ago, I was reading a book. And, uh, and it, it detailed that, that whole event, like what happened. In it. And so I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was sick, really sick for a whole week. And I thought, well, I'll do some sermon research. So I got the movie. And, uh, <laughs> and so if you've seen the movie, if you've, if you've kind of read details report, I'm sure many of us have, can't remember all the details. But, you know, when that, when that plane takes off, he's got 155 people, 326 in the afternoon. They take off cold January uh, afternoon. And just a couple of minutes in, whole flock of Canadian geese, both, uh, both you know, jet engines go down or uh, lose thrust. And so um, as they analyze that, as you know, they did the aviation uh, uh, afterwards. As they analyzed that, they figured out he had 35 seconds to figure out what to do. And intuitively, he knew that he couldn't go back to LaGuardia. He didn't have enough, uh, enough power. There was another airport nearby, but he, he knew intuitively he wouldn't have time for that. 
And so what else do you do? You're flying over the Bronx. It's one of the most heavily populated cities in the world. You can't just let the plane down. You can't go down on the New Jersey Turnpike. It's just 3 o'clock rush hour in the afternoon. I mean, you're going to kill thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And so in that 35 seconds, he comes up with the best option, which is to land on the Hudson River. Now, this is incredibly dangerous. I don't know if you know anything about water landings, but they're almost always destructive. I mean, just the nose of your plane hits a little bit down too much that one of the wings hits, and you're going to catch that, and you're going to turn over like a pinwheel and just break the whole plane up. And so it's extremely dangerous, but it's the best option he has, and he's got two or three minutes. And so in the next two or three minutes, he, has to, he and his partner, this, uh, the co-pilot, they have to make several like, split-second decisions. They've got to shut down the engines. They have to turn off the <coughs> autopilot. They've got to maintain altitude so they have room to maneuver. <coughs> they have to override their flight management system. They have to seal up all their vents so that when they hit, they don't sink. And one of the hardest things of all, they have to turn this whole plane that's northbound out of LaGuardia, they have to turn it around without power to make it southbound so that they're going with the flow of the river when they, they hit. And they have two or three minutes to do that. And of course, if you know the story, I mean, they, they landed incredibly, all 155 passengers walk away, not one single death. And for everyone that was there, uh, for even after the, the uh, aviation did their research at the end, finally at the end, they just said, this is a miracle. This is impossible. This is totally unsullied. Like there's no way this can happen outside of him. It's his character, his wisdom, and his competency that cool under pressure, makes incredible decisions with great efficiency and then an amazing skill does the impossible. So the question is, of course, how do you create pilots like Sully? And the answer is, there are no shortcuts. You don't create that kind of character, expertise, and wisdom by just sending people to a special course every once in a while. There's no special training that, that Sully had developed the capacity to do that miracle landing over decades of training, decades of experience, decades of danger, decades of right decisions, thousand times over. And over the course of decades, Sully had become the kind of person, the catch this, had the capacity to do the impossible. And this is what we're learning, going to learn in this series. That how do you become the kind of person that is transformed and renewed to be like your creator so that you can love others like God has loved us? That doesn't happen by a single sermon or a training course or a book. That happens by hundreds and thousands of decisions and matters big and small where you choose to put off the old and put on the new by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with each choice, another ring in your oak is formed. And you, over time, become this incredible oak of righteousness that has become like your creator with a capacity to love well. And so in this series, we're going to be breaking that down week by week. And we're going to be talking about eight Kate. Uh, key character qualities that we need to grow in. We need to learn to put off the old and put on the new 
that we can be transformed, renewed to be like our creator, so we have the capacity to do relationships well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, it's just so good to be here together, and while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, uh, I want to just talk with you as your pastor for just a minute and just say, hey, are you ready to grow? You know, last weekend we talked about 2017 spiritual training, reaching for the future. So I'm just going to ask you, our heads are, are you ready to grow? Because this is going to be an incredible opportunity. I can guarantee you that for some of you, your lives will never be the same after this series, and not because you're going to become an oak of righteousness during the next nine weeks, but because you're going to learn how to become an oak. And you're going to make a decision that you truly want everything God has for you. You want to be renewed. You want to become a different kind of person that have the capacity to do relationships well so that whether it's in your marriage, your dating life, your friendships, your work relationships, your ministry team, your grandkids, that you will become the kind of person that has a capacity for the relationship you dearly want to have. And so as we start this series, I just want to ask you, are you ready to grow? And are you, are you open to what God wants to say to you? And so, Lord, we come as your church, and whether it's here in the worship center, over in the ridge right now, God, we come before you as one church in a couple locations now. But we come and we ask you, would you be our leader? We ask you, uh, would you mentor us? Would you shepherd us? Would you teach us? And God, would you give us the grace and teach us how to surrender and trust you to be radically honest as we go through this series, not to pretend we're someone we're not, but to have the courage to be radically honest, to, to see where we're at and where we need to be so that we can begin to grow in character because we know the greater the character, the deeper the relationship. So God, as we come now, as we worship you, as we seek you together, as we bring you our offering both here over in the ridge, we pray you'd meet us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? And oh God, that's our prayer today, that we pray that you would pull us a little deeper, take us a little closer, God, that we want to know your heart. And we don't just want to know you, we want to be changed to be like you. Thank you that your vision for our lives is so much bigger than simply forgiveness. But it's a, forgiveness is the door that opens the door to this relationship that's called transformation, that's called renewal. And so, God, we pray that you would meet us as a church. And over this next eight more weeks, that every week, God, we pray for that courage to be honest about who we are, where we're going, who you are, the changes you want to do in our life. And you just teach us step by step, shepherd us how to put off the old, put on the new, so that we can start a lifetime of growth as an oak of righteousness, the capacity to grow and change and to build the kind of relationships we were designed for, both with you and with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, well, a couple of things as we wrap up today, both here and over in the Ridge. Uh, number one is that I hope you can be with us every week of this series. Next week is going to be particularly important. In fact, I would say if you have to be out of town for some lousy reason... Uh, that, uh, that what I'd encourage you to do is uh, go online to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch the, watch the video there, high-def video. 
um, and uh, keep up because next week, topic on the table is authenticity. Now, I believe authenticity is the first step to character development, character growth. And so unless we learn how to be radically honest about who we are, what we're thinking, and what we're feeling, that we will never be able to know what to put off or what to put on. So next week, incredibly foundational for the whole series. So I hope you can be here for that. Secondly, uh, if you need prayer, either here or over in the ridge, to my right and your left in both of the worship centers, uh, we have a prayer team over there. They have badges on. They'd love to pray with you about whatever you need. Third, as you leave, if you're interested in, in finding out about a life group or you want to get a ministry update letter in both locations, we have a starting point and you can sign up for life groups uh, at the life groups uh, startup, uh, 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 sign up uh, booth at either place or get that letter there. So, and then finally, don't forget that as we go, if you have any questions about the letter I sent, the budget, elders, direction of the church, anything, over on the far side of our campus in the room called the Summit, we've got a team of elders and, uh, and pastors there that can answer all your questions. And so until next week, may the Lord be with you. May he strengthen and challenge you. May he envision you with this vision that he has for your life, that you would be completely renewed to be like your creator having the capacity to grow and change and love others well, to build the marriages, the dating relationships, the friendships, the work relationships, the ministry teams that will help change the world. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next week, and I'll stay up here afterwards if you want to talk.